Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to another episode of Money Talks. My name is Hugh Meyer, hope you're doing well. Really excited for our, my episode today. Just wanna to remind everybody, Money Talks was developed to interview successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and business experts on how they're thinking creatively during these really disruptive times. And I'm super excited today to have David Dussault with us. Dave, welcome. Hey Hugh, thanks for having me today, really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, just for all our viewers out there, uh, Dave and I are Union College alums, um, going back to over 20 years now, which is a <laughs> frightening thought, but super excited to have Dave with us. He has an amazing story of how he's gotten to here today, and I want to uh, interview him so we can uh, learn all about it. So with all that, with that, let's get started. Uh, Dave, thanks again for being here. Give us, give the viewers a little bit about your background. Please. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, he was 42 years old, uh, father of uh, four, I've been married for 19 years. Uh, as you said, graduated from Union College back in 2000 with an economics and double major with American history. Uh, spent about five years working at GE, uh, traveling around the world, working on, uh, graduated off one of their management training programs back in 02. Um, and kind of fast forwarding, uh, left GE in 04, raised some capital, bought a bankrupt company, we sold that. And then I started our current company in 2006. Uh, today, we're a, um, what I call a diversified uh, manufacturing technology company. Uh, so we've got some different investments in technology related to the industrial marketplaces. And we have traditional contract manufacturing companies, as well as a small little OEM out in Denver that we invested in. Uh, so today, we're about, a, you know, between including Denver, about 160 people, um, three different operations, uh, probably seven to eight active investments in technology companies in our industry. So uh, pretty diversified and, uh, you know, been the CEO and founder, obviously, since 06. So we're having a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. It's, uh, you guys do a great job on social media. I mean, that's how uh, we reconnected. Uh, you guys, like I said, you do, do a great job kind of really communicating your message, what you're trying to accomplish at P1. Uh, talk a little bit about, I, I found this um, clip from Forbes uh, a couple years back when you guys were actually featured in one of their small giants. And I, and I love the story about how you know, your family start all worked at GE. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. You know, we, we, we're, we're Schenectady-based. Uh, you went to Union College. It's funny because you're sitting on the West Coast right now. Uh, I sit about four minutes down from Union College where we went to school. So I, my, my travel horizon is not as large as yours. Um, you know, my family moved to Schenectady back in 1908. My great-grandfather uh, moved here from Italy. Um, my great-grandfather, my father's side from uh, Canada. So DeSalt's a French name, obviously, but I'm about half Italian, half French. And they were machinists. They were tool and die makers. Uh, they worked at General Electric starting in that time frame, 1908, 1910 period of time. And then the next four generations uh, also worked at GE. So my great-grandfathers were uh, tool and die makers. My grandparents were uh, lathe operators and tool and die makers. My grandmother actually worked at GE during World War II. She worked wow. in munitions and a few other things down in the plant there. Um, at that time, they had about 47,000 employees in Schenectady. And for the listeners, Schenectady is where GE was formed. J.P. Morgan, Thomas Edison kind of brought a couple different companies together and General Electric was founded in Schenectady in uh, 1878, I believe it was. Um, and yeah, and then my father worked there for 38 years, a um, bunch of uncles and aunts and cousins. Uh, I worked there as a fourth generation, as did my two other brothers, and my, I still have one brother working for GE Renewable. So long, long legacy of manufacturing, tool and die making, machining in our uh, background dating back over 100 years. That's great. I mean, the reason why I, I bring this up, because obviously there's been so much news over the last decade or longer about 
jobs overseas, industrial manufacturing overseas, you know, America, you know, job, you know, and, and all in that kind of negative connotation sure. that came from that. But your story is, is, is phenomenal because you are in the U S employing, you know, people in your, in, you know, in, in your, in your neck of the woods, building in the U S manufacturing in the U S and, you know, we don't hear a lot about this. So this is, this is, to me, this is a huge, a huge story and a huge, you know, it's, it's a testament to what you do. Talk a little bit about kind of your feelings on that and, you know, how you make that such a success. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, first and foremost, our vision statement as a company is to revitalize American manufacturing through entrepreneurship. Uh, if you think of traditional manufacturing, a lot of people, and it's a kind of a weird thing, but you ask them, if you tell them you're a fa- you know, manufacturing, they think about uh, factories with dirt floors, you know, dimly lit, you know, people that are being, you know, cur- curmudgeons walking around, dragging their, dragging their hands. You know, but manufacturing is super advanced in the United States today, you know, with the advent of technology, Industry 4.0, robotization, uh, big data and analytics. And those aren't just buzzwords, you know, people are making things faster and better and smarter in the United States than we ever have at any other given time in history. And matter of fact, I think uh, some version of our GDP is about $2 trillion in manufacturing. It's about the same as China's, except we do it with one-tenth the workforce. So we, we truly put uh, advanced technology to work in manufacturing in the U.S. And I think there's a renaissance. Um, you know, if you think about especially what's going on with the pandemic, we've believed for a number of years that manufacturing was coming back to the U.S. strictly because of innovation cycles. You know, when you produce things, 75% of the country's R&D is tied to manufacturing. And R&D is obviously largely, um, you know, a driver for innovation and and future businesses and everything else. And we've always been very bullish on the idea of bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. because we need innovation. Because the middle class is put back to work in manufacturing and also because, you know, we want to have our exports be greater than our imports. And the only way to drive uh, uh, our deficits down is to export more than we import, to become more of a production economy versus a consumer economy. And the pandemic has really kind of accelerated this notion of reshoring manufacturing to the US because now, you know, if you think about supply chain, supply chain is all about risk management. Right. And now all of a sudden they're saying, oh my gosh, you know, a, a, a pandemic on a global scale can within months have a dramatic shift and impact on the flow of goods and services across the globe. So now you're really starting to see a lot of big companies like Caterpillar and John Deere and others saying, we really got to shift our focus from being maybe 25% domestic production, 75% international, and kind of switch that around over the next couple of years. Because not only um, do we have to shift that risk management uh, protocol, but we also are learning that even though it might cost a little bit more to make things in the US, the time to market and the contribution to innovation in R&D has an outsized return on lower costs in the short term. So we're a big believer in that. In everything we do, whether it's hiring young people, investing in technologies, or producing goods in the U.S., it's all about revitalizing American manufacturing. That's that's great. I love. I mean, I love that. Uh, you know, can't wait for people to uh, see this clip right here. The last couple of minutes. I think that says it all about. It's. I appreciate what you're doing. I know a lot of people appreciate you what you're doing, and it's. I love the. Um, you know, the analysis as far as how you see the companies like the caterpillars of the world who've spent so many years producing yeah. overseas and now realize that now it's time they need to make this shift. And, you know, hopefully as this shift is occurring, it's going to be benefiting getting more people in this country back to work, which is what yeah. we need to have happen. And manufacturing jobs are technology jobs now. Right. You know, you're, you're not sitting on a line 
you know, put in a wheel on an axle, uh, you know, during the four days of the 1920s, 1930s, you know, you're running half million dollar piece of equipment that has touchscreen application, software integration, you know, uh, probing technology. You're talking about a very sophisticated machine tool that is computer driven that requires people with trigonometry skills, right. you know, creativity, uh, problem or, you know, problem solving orientation. And that's really the, the manufacturer of the future is being able to do things, the integration of technology with really smart people to make really complex things very quickly uh, to serve markets that are very finicky. So that's kind of the way we approach it. That, that's great. Thank you for that. Talk to me, talk to us a little bit about, so COVID it comes, it's March, yeah. April, you know, it affected, obviously it affects all of us and, and then it affects different businesses in different ways. Kind of kick us through, you know, what, kind of how you, your, you and your team dealt with that, reacted to that and take it and where you are now today. Yeah, we went through a couple of different stages. I'll call stage one really the panic stage, right. you know, um, and, and the panic really wasn't driven by, you know, the economics that we thought were coming, but more about the notion of how quickly the government was reacting to uh, data and information and how quickly they were shutting things down and, and kind of, you know, changing protocols around employment and, and, and social distancing in the workplace and everything else very quickly. So we kind of, there was this panic stage back in early March where, you know, our governor in New York State, uh, Cuomo, was really coming out almost on a daily basis with new protocols. Hey, anyone with 500 people, you got to shut down. And then, then it was 250 people, then it was 100 people, then it was 50 people, and all the gatherings kept shifting. And then on a Friday, I think it might have been like the week of March 16th, said, you know, all non-essential businesses need to shut down. And we scrambled, right? So we went through this panic mode. We're like, oh my gosh, are we essential? You know, how do we get viewed from the government? We had to go to Empire State Development and, and apply quickly to become, to get a non-essential status. And I didn't get a non-essential status till Sunday night. So my employees are waiting on call saying, do we come back to work on Monday? So that panic stage was really about being compliant to the protocols government was bringing out. And then it entered what I would say, kind of the safety stage, the concern stage, where we were like, okay, how bad is this thing? You know, we, we were deemed essential. We're staying open because we're making parts for power plants, aircraft, aviation, space, you know, emerging markets. So we're, you know, the stuff we're making is very, very critical to the infrastructure of this co- or the country. Then we really went to the concern stage. We're like, okay, how do we keep our people safe? How bad is this? You know, how do we shift around our schedules on the shop floor to create distancing? And we did those things pretty rapidly. We held a, a, a couple of days in a row. We held all hands meetings. We kind of heard everyone's concerns. We put everyone on a seven-day schedule. So we went from a five-day, two-shift schedule to a seven-day, one-shift schedule and, and kind of distributed everyone across the, the power or the plants, both here and in Denver, and just made sure that we had 15, 20, 30 feet of spacing. And then we really entered from the concern stage to what I would call uh, a mindset shift to aggressive growth because right. we're like, okay, the panic's over. We kind of understand what the protocols and compliance requirements are. I think we've got our people in a pretty good place, you know, from a safety perspective. Now we think there's a phenomenal opportunity. Let's go into hyper growth mode. Let's take advantage of the marketplace and the opportunities and shift that way really quickly. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like we're going to hear of a lot of success stories in the coming years um, on different levels in this economy of, of, you know, people like yourself and companies that took that mindset right now or, or in the preceding, in the months before now, and we're going to hear a year, two, three years from now, some real success stories from, from making those kind of moves and putting your foot to the gas pedal, so to speak. That's right. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a great analogy uh, in the 1930s between Post and Kellogg's. I've talked about it a couple of different webinars. And Post Serial at the time was a market leader, and they pulled back all their marketing spend. During the Great Depression, Kellogg's did the opposite. And they emerged as the market leader coming out of uh, the Great Depression into World War II. And so we learned, you know, in 2017, 2018, we went through a pretty tough time with one of our largest customers. They were, we had a lot of concentrated revenue with them. And they went through, God, a terrible, terrible market shift for their business. And we lost a lot of business. Now, we replaced a lot of it through aggressive selling and so forth. But that, to me, was kind of a dry run for the COVID pandemic because we learned when the, when the market shifts, uh, and again, it's a cliche, I hate cliches, but this cliche is so true. Wherever there's catastrophe, wherever there's problems, there's great opportunity, right? You have to find, you have to shift the perspective and make the adjustments you need to make, but then find out the opportunity. And when the pandemic hit, coming into April, May, we aggressively uh, added to our marketing budget. We hired seven people out of the gates pretty quick for marketing and what we call entry-level sales. Right. Um, we, we went out and uh, subscribed to HubSpot. We did the integration with HubSpot, direct messenger campaigns, hired a content person going after social media. You know, since April, you know, we've added over 10 new clients that we've never done business with before. These are not small clients. These are big clients. We're adding companies like SpaceX, um, you know, divisions of Mitsubishi, uh, Caterpillar, John Deere, you know, these are companies that we had never worked with before, and we're starting to see a, a large compression of cycle on the first first touch to first order as well, which is really interesting. That's great. Uh, that's a that's a nice long list of new uh, clients that you <laughs> developed. What do you, uh, if you don't mind my asking, what what are you working on with SpaceX? I actually can can't say. tell you because uh, we're on the NDA, so. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say it, but I had to try. <laughs> You know, I, well, I so badly, I so badly want to market it. And they visited last week and they're like, don't mention our name anymore. So I mentioned this, I mentioned it here because I'm assuming this is not a marketing, uh, you know, for us, but uh, I can't, I can't talk about some of the stuff, but it, I'll tell you this. Uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's That's, pretty, I think the space, I think the space economy is going to be a $10 trillion economy in the next 10, 20 years. I think it's the next, fr- I mean, I, I hate to use this term too, but it's the next frontier. I, I, you know what? It's a valid point. Uh, obviously, Elon Musk and SpaceX have had a lot of success. You know, there's other big, big time, you know, entrepreneurs in this world. Jeff, I think Jeff Bezos actually had a podcast or, or YouTube where he actually talks about it. Um, so, you know, when you when you start seeing people of this magnitude putting so much emphasis, it's time oh, yeah. for the antenna to go up and realize, you know, these guys are the innovators in our world and they're doing that right now, uh, which, right. which is, which is exciting. Um, but that's great. I have a, I have a, I have a saying with, uh, you know, we, we, are trying to align ourselves with emerging markets. So we're, we're having the hemp and cannabis industry as well. That's an emerging market. Uh, I said, we don't want to make shoe springs. We want to make parks for space. You know, we want to make uh, rocket ships. So, you know, even aligning our people, their talents, their expertise in engineering with, uh, future growth areas. Again, it goes back to revitalizing American manufacturing. Yeah. I mean, it, I, Great anecdotes there as far as what you guys did when all this, when everything kind of came about with COVID. Not dissimilar. That was kind of the genesis for, you know, where this podcast came from was interviewing people like yourself, other colleagues of my partners and I, and their resources. And they work with who our clients are, the small business owners, and just, just talking to through to them and through you know about things of this nature about you know we're a resource here 
um, you know, from different walks of life, different spectrums, whether it's someone like yourself, you know, people in tax, again, just to talk about what are the opportunities right now, what things you should be looking at right now. That's, that's why we're here doing this, um, this podcast every week. To, to really connect with the small business owners who continue to need help, but they need to hear stories like this to realize, you know, be aggressive right now, you know, put your foot on the gas pedal, get going. There's a lot of opportunity right now to be had. Yeah. There's, you know, one of the things I've discovered in business, and again, I'm not the, again, I'm not the, the poster child entrepreneur. I'm not, I don't have all the answers for everything, but what I have learned is you don't get a lot of inflection points like this as a business owner, as a CEO, where people, you know, think about, think about what this has done for, here we are sitting on a Zoom call, um, 3,000 miles apart, you know, hosting a podcast and having a conversation. And a lot of sales has shifted to that too, you know, virtual factory tours, you know, Zoom meetings. I did a, uh, a webinar two weeks ago for Fusehub, which is a New York State-based manufacturing group. And they use a software called Remo. And they actually had, you know, a stage in Remo. And they had all these different tables for networking events. They did this whole virtual networking event. And so everyone, everyone has been forced to change how they do business. With that in mind, never has been a better opportunity to propose new business ideas and concepts and services to your clients because they're being forced to change anyway. Right. And if they're being forced to change, you might as well take as much change as you can and bring it into the marketplace when people are adhering to new things. And, uh, and we're seeing, you know, if you told me that we could take a client that produces large-scale comp- large componentry for very, very critical applications, military defense applications, for example, and that we could virtualize the entire sales process, all the factory tours, you know, integrate with our customers from an engineering and, and planning perspective digitally, and then start making parts with them without having a physical uh, uh, a visit and an audit, I would tell you you're crazy. But guess what? Everyone's adapting to that. So great. Now that we've taken all the friction of visits and right. plant tours and everything else out of the process, let's scale the process using virtual digital tools. So there's no better time to kind of shift how you do business than right now because everyone is open to new ideas and concepts because they don't know where this is going to end up. Yeah. I mean, that's exciting. That's exciting to hear from you. You know, again, you know, this, this is coming from quote unquote, the horse's mouth. I mean, you're living this, you're doing this every day. You're seeing, you know, you're doing these networking events and you're seeing that, you know, this is happening. It's working. People are accepting of it and trying to really make the best of this situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was on your website and I really enjoyed, love this line, you know, machines do the work but people make the difference. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm not one of those believers that you can roboticize or automate your way out of ingenuity. You know, so a lot of people in manufacturing talk about automated lines and that's important for certain industries, consumer-based industries like vehicles, cars, you know, computers, you know, those things can be put together with robots. But if you really want to create value beyond cost and speed, you know, innovation, new products, new ideas, I view technology as a um, as an as an uh, kind of a tool set for people that can use creativity, ingenuity, and bring innovation to marketplace. New product ideas, new services, serving clients cannot be automated. That has to do with people that care deeply about the mission of the company, that want to bring new ideas and concepts, who want to innovate and serve customers in new ways. Um, and and that's what we mean by that. I can put all the machine tools on a shop floor. 
I could buy the most expensive CNC machine tools, most expensive computers. I can put as many 3D printers on the ground as you want me to put. But unless you put somebody behind it who knows how to use it to its highest and best use and to bring create creativity and ingenuity to be able to innovate new products and services for clients, it doesn't mean anything. And that's why I always believe, hey, machine tools are machine tools. It's a tool set, but you have to invest in your people. And that's why the, the second part of our vision statement is so critical to what we do and who we are is revitalize American manufacturing, not through technology, not through uh, finance, not through investment, not through speed, not through cycle, but through entrepreneurship. And what we mean by that is that's the culture of people who are uh, so orientated to solving problems with cut for customers right. and doing it in an environment where they can test ideas, experiment, and fail a little bit. That to me is how you revitalize American manufacturing. That's what we mean by people make the difference. You need the creative and uh, innovative juices out of people's minds and then give them the tools to be able to create new things. That's great. Absolutely. Uh, this has been uh, you know, great talking with you and really learning all about uh, P1 and you know, the successes you had. Can you leave the viewers with maybe one thought or one piece of advice you know, kind of going forward? Uh, so great. Uh, I'll say this. The United States of America has incredible soul, right? We are a, a, a persevering, persistent, problem-solving group of people. And I think entrepreneurship is probably one of the greatest avenues or conduits through which we can change the world, impact people's lives, build and create the future. And so I would encourage people, hey, when the chips are down, when there's so much uncertainty, bet on yourself. You uh, let your, you know, we are so resilient as Americans. And I don't mean, I don't mean to differentiate from the rest of the world. I'm just talking about us sitting right here. And there's never been a better time to create new solutions, to innovate, um, to be problem solvers, and to kind of push through this whole thing and get out on the other side stronger, faster, and better than we were before we went in. You know, we have soul. The one thing that differentiates our country and our ability to build companies versus anywhere else in the world is, man, we do it with soul and passion and energy. And let's not lose sight of that as we come out of this pandemic, because I think uncertainty can force people to avoid risk, can force people to go to safety nets. And this is the time where we need to shine and we need to step up and create new things and try new things as we come out of this pandemic. That, that was great. Uh, really, I really appreciate it. You know, uh, interesting how you brought up the words risk and uncertainty there. That's kind of the hallmarks of what we do here. Um, you know, for our business owners is, you know, risk events like COVID, they come out of nowhere. You know, we, we want to focus on preparing the, for the uncertainty, go for yeah. prepare for the uncertainty risk events come out of nowhere. We, you know, we don't know when, but they're happening more frequently, especially in financial markets. We can do a better job of preparing for the uncertainty so that when these kind of unfortunate events occur and hopefully they don't occur, you're prepared and now you're right. prepared in your case, you were, you were prepared, you had a plan of action, a great team, and you got everything moving forward. Um, so great. Uh, thank you again. You know, you've been a great resource to me. I appreciate it. And to all the viewers, you know, that's what we're trying to do here again on this podcast is be a resource to people. And uh, thank you again. We definitely want to have you back at some point. Hopefully sure. you'll come back. Thank you. Absolutely. It was great. You, thanks uh, very much. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Remember, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please smash the like button. And uh, remember, Money Talks. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Thank you again. Take care.